Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. If I seem grumpy today, it's because I know full well how terrible of an idea it is to have your happiness on any single given day of your life be based on Baker Mayfield's performance in a football game. I know what's coming. Um, it, the, the game is being played right now as we record. And uh, just bear with me. The last tweet I saw before I closed my phone and we started recording was just uh, Jalen Ramsey, what a tackle. I think it was Detroit moments I was tweeting that. So something good just happened. But uh, everything that happens after that tweet, I do not know, and it probably won't be good. I've been hurt before. Is this the final week of the regular season? It's the final week, and the Lions need the Rams to beat the Seahawks, and then the Lions need to beat the Packers in at Lambeau. That doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. No, it's certainly not. Um, but you know what it's perfectly in the realm of? Detroit Lions football. <laughs> That's right, Evan. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> Giving Lions fans hope and just taking it away in a brand new, uh, creative, painful way. Anyhow, let's talk about uh, other de- Detroit sports. We're at that point of the season where people are starting to use the T word a lot. The timing of the World Juniors didn't help. No, it's, it certainly <laughs> didn't. But uh, we're geared up. We're ready to go. Evan actually drank a caffeinated bubbly. I mean, caffeinated uh, carbonated beverage. No free ads. That's right. Yeah, I did. So it'll be interesting to see when that kicks in. Maybe it won't at all. Maybe it will momentarily. Your body... I hope you've marked down on your uh, ID card that you want to donate your body to science because I'm afraid and so curious about what they'll find going on in there. I have no idea. Certainly the brain is just like the Simpsons, Homer Simpson uh, monkey with the symbols. (laughs) Most days, yeah. But uh, everything else is... When I'm caffeinated, I'm feeling good. But once the caffeine leaves, it's just like, what? May as well just (laughs) end end it right now. All right. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast where where we are here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey the world of the NHL, uh, and everything in between. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to uh, very succinctly tell you about the two games the Red Wings played because it's a simple story to tell. Um, We will be talking to you about certain roster moves that have been made that are upcoming. Uh, Elmer Soderblom got assigned to Grand Rapids. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, or maybe even Philip Zadina, it looks like they may look like they may be ready for uh, Tuesday, as early as Tuesday. Uh, Dylan Larkin, three-time All-Star, uh, and whether or not any other Red Wings have a shot of being voted in. Uh, a little update on Alex Nedeljkovic and Jacob Verana's um, time in Grand Rapids. Ned on a conditioning stint, Verana actually being assigned uh, to Grand Rapids after clearing waivers. The World Juniors and whatever other NHL news comes up. Uh, before that, I want to let you know, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is Saturday, April 8th uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That is an event that we have that's partnered with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast before the game. Uh, so we've moved them from uh, the beer garden right outside the arena to just across the street, pretty much, to Hockey Town Cafe, because uh, so many of you have come out there. Uh, we've had Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond as uh, special guests uh, on that show, we'll have uh, more in terms of giveaways, merch, surprises uh, for you that will save closer to the event. Uh, everyone has a chance for a Q&A and meet and greet with the special guests and less importantly, us, the hosts. Uh, then we all go over to watch the games together. 
Uh, you get tickets to the game as well, um, and they are discounted. So you get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount as well as uh, being able to sit in special Winged Wheel podcast seating sections. So we have the entire gondola booked out. We have lower bowl sections, uh, upper bowl sections. Watch the game. There's a post-game after party. Uh, it's a whole thing. And most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold uh, benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So go to DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. Uh, it gives gets you access to the pregame live recording. Uh, and the game itself, uh, and it's a blast. It's something that we enjoy doing. It'll be our fourth time around, uh, and special thanks to our partners, the Detroit Red Wings, for helping us host this. The Red Wings haven't won in 2023. That's probably not good. Uh, admittedly, it's just a few games. New Jersey, Florida, Toronto. Um, that's a pretty tough gamut of teams. Florida, I understand, isn't that high up the uh, the standings, and they have their own woes, but in terms of talent, that's a tough uh, a little ringer of teams there, but yeah, it's uh, it's a winless 2023 to, to date. And like you said, Brad, this is on the heels of the World Juniors, where everyone spent so much time watching prospects that may or may not be drafted uh, by their favorite team, and so it's colored people's opinions a little bit. What to make uh, of where the Red Wings are? Actually, let's let's recap the games quickly. Florida was um, Robbie Fabry's one game of the back to back that he played, so he. Uh, they they put him in for the Florida game. Uh, Soderblom had tweaked something, so he came out in favor of Ernie. Uh, the game actually opened up pretty well with uh, Jonathan Berggren uh, tipping in a Sherratt shot, um, and then the Red Wings went down 3-1. Notably in there, uh, Fabry lit up Anton Lundell twice in one shift, which was pretty awesome to see, um, and then actually ended up scoring to make it 3-2 towards the end of the game. But the whole story of that game was special teams. The Red Wings were 0 for 5 on their own power play and 0 for 2 on their own penalty kill, which is the same as saying Florida went 2 for 2 on their power play. So the seven times special teams took the ice, the Red Wings failed each and every time. But Brovsky was also excellent. He played like a $10 million goalie, which is hysterical. Uh, and the Red Wings lost a one-goal game against a team that I think was beatable on balance that night. Yeah. Overall, Florida's a more talented team than Detroit, and... The theme of this season has been thus far, Detroit beats the teams they should beat for the most part, and they lose to the teams they should lose to for the most part. Despite the standings, Florida is a team that should beat Detroit way more often than they don't, and they did. Um, The big story for me in that game was the regression of what had been propping, one of the main things that had been propping up Detroit all season, which was improved special teams. Going into December, they had one of the best penalty kills in the league. And since, like, I want to say roughly mid-December, it has cratered. Their power play has never been good in the last seven years, but it, it got up to average this season. I'd say, like, top of the bottom third in the NHL. Exactly, yeah. It was, it was passable. That is no longer the case. Um, they're still getting good goaltending, but it's not the god-level goaltending they were getting. And now when... They get outclassed by better teams. It's just that much more obvious because their, I'll call them band-aids, aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. That uh, There have been some very fair questions as to what the solution is there. It's weird that you've seen Alex Tange come in and make these, you know, sometimes simple but effective and sometimes revolutionary but effective changes to the power play, for example. And then seeing it just dissipate into thin air. It's so temperamental. The big obvious answer to that is if you don't have the talent, you're not going to sustain 
uh, a high level of play on the power play, no matter how good your systems are. As much as it pains me to say as a former defenseman, there's a lot more coachability in terms of how much you can maximize your talent or, or make your talent uh, greater than the sum of their parts on defense rather than offense, I think fair to say. I'll never repeat that if you try to quote me on it, Brad. But um, So yeah, the talent deficiency is going to be a big thing there. You're missing Bertuzzi and Verona essentially all season. That's going to suck. But it's it's tough. Like, What are the special teams coaches doing to adjust? What are they doing to uh, mitigate the injuries which happen to every team? And this is not the first game, and I don't even think it's the second or third game, where the Red Wings otherwise could have won where their effort was decent relatively speaking at five on five yeah your goalie uh, i mean uh, what's the old saying your best penalty killer is your goalie so yeah at the start of the season um billy Huso obviously was one of the, the the bright spots for the red wings and um he was obviously propping up the penalty kill with his his really strong play and now that he and helberg slash nadelkovich as a group have sort of regressed more to what maybe they are and the lack of talent in um, the rest of the lineup. Yeah. I'm fortunate that it does make sense that the, the penalty kill would would regress and penalty kill is one of those things that you always have to be changing because teams start watching tape of your special teams and they figure out how to exploit it. So, you know, I'm not saying this is happening, but it's a possibility that, you know, the changes they're making aren't, strong enough to combat the the game plan that the other teams have and there's a talent thing too like yeah the best players on the other team are on the ice with one more player than the red wings when the red wings are on a on a penalty kill so there's a high chance that, <laughs> that the other team may score because there's going to be a great a opportunity at some point hear me out just gently but firmly or, or politely but firmly refuse that you're on the penalty kill and just ice five players what are they going to do? What could they possibly do? <laughs> they can't arrest us all. Uh, the next night, the Red Wings traveled to Toronto. Um, and uh, I mean, Evan, you were actually behind enemy lines. You were at that That's game. Right. So uh, condolences to your wallet on that one. Tickets were free. Oh my God. What's it like? What's <laughs> it? But I looked up how much they were going for. And my God, I have a very, very nice friend. <laughs> you better. Yeah, you better claim that on your taxes. I have to like get Catherine to babysit his kids or something so that him and his wife can you go. You babysit his kids. No, no poop. What do you mean get Catherine to no, babysit no his kids? No poop. No poop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, the Red Wings went into Toronto and had a honestly really good first period where they limited to Toronto to what was it? Like just a few shots. And they had a few power plays too. Uh, Jake Wallman, after a pretty bad call on him, I think, uh, came out of the box uh, offensive mastermind Oli Mata with a gorgeous stretch that pass, pass was unbelievable, amazing. The like, Toronto fan who was sitting beside me was taking a video for social media or whatever when it started in the Red Wings end, and then the stretch pass came and he got the goal and I just hit him. I'm like, do you get that one? <laughs> <laughs> this dude's trying to get killed in Toronto. <laughs> I had a good laugh. It was funny, but yeah, what a pass! Yeah, my god, that was perfect, and it was like inch perfect too with where Wallman was uh, at the blue line, and he made no mistake finishing the breakaway. Uh, and the Toronto native scores um, in his hometown for the Red Wings, which was a great way, really, to it's a great like highlight of that first period. And you thought, wow, the Red Wings. You know, have a good shot here of upsetting the Leafs on the second half of a back-to-back where they had to travel, and then you I don't know, remember that they're good at hockey. Yeah, 
you know, I'm not really up in arms about either of the the games, really, especially at five on five. I don't think uh, the Red Wings have been lights out at five on five, and they absolutely should have won those games. And they had bad luck, or special teams tanked everything. But I think their efforts were respectable at five on five. But yeah, that's just Toronto is a better team. They woke up after the first period. Uh, the Red Wings, um, uh, you know, special teams didn't do anything for them, and. That was the end of it. They were 0 for 4 on the power play. They they let in one power play goal, I guess, on five shot chances, which isn't terrible. But um, all in all, I thought Helberg actually played really well. Yeah, not bad. He's basically staring down the barrel of a gun every single night. So uh, the fact that they only gave him gave up that many, I thought he was excellent. It could have it could have been ugly. He had a an unreal like double save with the uh, a stretch pad. It was like yeah. very. Um, he was all over the net. I never realized how massive he actually he, is. He is huge. And you know what? I walked past him once at the arena and uh, he's so, he's one of those people that's so big that their voice is like comedically deep. Yeah. Like they uh, they brought in a giant, like a character who's a literal giant in a movie and it's like uh, like nodded at him and he looked back, he looked straight down his uh, chin at me and went, hello. <laughs> like I can't even do the hello voice. Hello there, young man. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I should have voice modulated myself to uh, to to simulate it, but he is a colossal dude. Yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed when I was at that game is, maybe this is an excellent segue into the conversation we're going to have about the state of the Red Wings, but the number of rememberable players or you know, fascinating moments that the Red Wings produced, I can count on. If you cut off two of my fingers, I could still count it on one hand. The cover, <laughs> the coverage of that game was very easy. Let's say it that way. Like it was, that's where the Red Wings are right now. And you're right. That's a great segue into. The number of times I had to be like, had to sort of remember, oh yeah, like that's so-and-so because nothing of importance was occurring or being generated by said player was not good. The Red Wings are 38 games in. A lot of teams are hitting the halfway mark of the season. We're just about there. Uh, you can put them, put them pretty firmly out of the anywhere close to likely category in the wild card race. Um, where are the Red Wings at right now? And what's it looking like for the rest of the season based on what we've seen? I'm not optimistic. We talked about the Red Wings' easy schedule and kind of what they are in that mushy middle. You know, beat the bad teams, lose to the good teams. They they got a lot of the bad teams out of the way on their schedule early, which means there's probably uh, more good teams left for the remainder of the season without going game by game. We've talked about this in the past, and since these conversations have crept up a lot recently... Based on what we know with Verona now and kind of what the talking points have been for the last week or so, it's probably worth bringing up. And I think it's a good way to describe the Red Wings. If you are having lengthy conversations and are doing gymnastics to avoid waving someone of the caliber of an Adam Ernie, your team sucks. I'm I'm a big Ern stan. I don't want to see Adam Ernie go. Um, I love the guy. I, I, huge Adam Ernie fan. But he's a fringy NHL player. If if we're having the gymnastics done to prevent him from being waived, your team sucks. And I'm not saying this like the Red Wings are the Hawks or the Coyotes or they're like 
as miserable as, you know, the Red Wings of years past, but they're not a playoff team. I think that much is very obvious at this point. I think they have a very long way to go in the rebuild. Um, you know, a couple moves could change that, but as things stand right now, I, I don't love the Red Wings position for the playoffs next year. Um, I've pretty much all but given up on the playoffs this year mentally. Like, I'm still cheering every game like it's a possibility, but when they lose, I'm not, I don't have that gut punch that I, that I had at the, in the first couple months of the season where it looked like a very real possibility, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, it, the it losses did, hurt just a little bit more. This, this feels like I'm cheering yeah. for the Lions right now. Like, you hope, but yeah, you, you got to do that to me. You today need all six days. teams to do this to even have a chance. Yeah. It's kind of like you hope and like it's, your heart of hearts, you're you're hoping truly this is the one, but like deep down in your gut, you know how this how this goes. And I think the last week really highlighted, and I know this is gonna get radioed and I'm gonna get absolutely, you know, raked over the coals for saying this. This proved that the eye this last week proved the Iser plan wasn't isn't infallible. This was a very tough week for the Iser plan. Cause again, Outside of circumstances, we cannot and should not know the Verona move was at best puzzling, at its worst, a uh, severe misstep. Like waving him? Just straight up waving him versus trade. Like if if the relationship is fractured between the Red Wings, like I don't fault the Red Wings for moving on from Verona, but you could trade him. There were other options. You just, you could at least get him in the NHL to try to boost his value. I have a hard time even putting that move on the board because you know there's, there's information we yeah, don't know, it's, right? Yeah, like I said, that's why I said. At best, it's questionable. Okay, I guess yeah. it sort of helps that yeah. Mantha was scratched today or yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, turns out uh, two high goal score or two players with really high goal scoring ability turned into a lose-lose trade so far. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah, and Sebastian Kosa is not exactly tipping that in our favor lately either. It was a cursed trade. Steve Eisenman made a lot of fantastic signings in the offseason, and way more of them have turned out great than not, but the two that have become very questionable very fast are the most expensive and longest-term ones. Ben Sherratt is, to put it plainly, been bad this year. Um, Andrew Kopp has been streaky. I'm not as upset about the Andrew Kopp scenario this year or the Andrew Kopp contract because we've seen streaks of the good Andrew Kopp this year, but the consistency has been an issue. Whether that's the lack of training camp, dealing with the injury, dealing with the new system, there's a million reasons that could happen, but it's been a disappointing season for Andrew Kopp so far, an even more disappointing season for Ben Sherratt. Like it, it was not a good look for Ben Sherratt that as soon as he got pulled off most siders pairing, most siders pairing got infinitely better. Um, You know, the team finally looks like they're not a playoff team this year. So, and last couple episodes, I've talked at length about how this this team in the rebuild is missing arguably its most significant piece. Still, this is as pessimistic as I've been all year, and I'm hoping things will change in the next month to change that. But like, the outlook right now is pretty bleak, and I don't mean bleak like there's no hope of this team coming out of this rebuild successfully, and I don't mean bleak as there's no way this team wins the Stanley Cup. But this week has kind of shown me the path to get there is a lot has a lot more path left than we probably thought two months ago. I think that's a pretty good summary to wrap it up. I'm going to put out, someone asked me, uh, they're not a big Red Wings fan, and they asked me 
um, at a get together I was at over the weekend. They were like, "Hey, how are the Red Wings doing this season?" Uh, and I sat and I thought about it for a second because uh, that's always such a loaded question. And um, I said, "You know what? The past couple months has been, and it's not the first time I've said this on the podcast, but the past couple months has been a big." me having to reckon with a little bit of my own medicine, a little bit of my own words on what the Red Wing season would be because I preached quite a bit of, we are now in that almost ugly part of the rebuild where, you know, what were the hottest stories in the first, in, in last season? It was Sider and Raymond. Well, they're going to be in their sophomore years and that is very different for players than their rookie se- seasons. Uh, new system. They have a coach coming in uh, who promotes risk-free hockey and team defense because the Red Wings sorely lack that kind of structure. Uh, we know that they don't have high-end talent. So as they learn how to win, it doesn't mean like, oh, overnight they go from losing a lot of games to winning a lot of games. It means they're going to go overnight from losing a lot of games to probably still losing quite a few games, just not as terribly. Or building habits so that when they have a much better roster, they, you don't just have a collection of players with no cohesion or, or sense of team and they don't know how to put victories together. Because we, we all know that there is a, like a set of intangibles that you can't really articulate or put on paper or measure, but that's the difference between winning teams and teams that are ultra-talented that just fail repeatedly, cough, Toronto Maple Leafs, cough. I knew all that coming in. We've talked about all, all that a lot coming in, and I think that's where we are now. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't make it hurt any less. It doesn't make it suck any less to watch. I have a lot of the same feelings that you st- said, Brad. I disagree with a few of the things that you put out there, but I think overall, yeah, like the Red Wings probably have more runway on their um, rebuild. We'll call it path to contention. Yeah. It, it's it's a longer road than, than maybe we would have thought at the highest of highs this season. Game one. After yeah. game one. Yeah. <laughs> And I just think right now we're seeing the Red Wings do the ugly but important work of building this team of the future, and it's it's a lot of building good habits. Does any of what I just said answer the points Brad raised about, for example, the Sherratt signing or the cop signing, or was it the right move to move like this firmly in terms of free agency signings uh, considering this draft class? No, I, I think those are all still very fair questions for people who think. Uh, who have questions about that. Um, but I just think that it is there was no version of this season, especially considering that they were missing Bertuzzi and Verona, that was going to be, you know, out of this world, like knocked it out of the park. The, even if the Red Wings were not going to make any moves in this pr- past offseason, like the teams who are at the bottom right now are so horribly bad. I don't even know if the Red Wings fans would want that fate even given how stacked the top of this draft is. Like, do you think we could have taken another season, like last year's season, this year? I'll raise you one more. Not only do I think we couldn't have taken that season again, I don't think the Red Wings had a path to nuking the roster to be as bad as the Hawks or or some of these teams right now. Like The roster is too good. Yeah, like you'd have to get rid of, you know, Cider, Raymond, Larkin, like multiple of those players to get as bad as some of these teams are. Like Larkin and Bertuzzi would have to have not skated a single game for the Red Wings this season. And then you're put, you're exposing... Well, 50% of that is true. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. But then you're exposing Cider and Raymond to... It's a difficult spot to be in terms of an organization in your direction, right? Like you don't want to breed a toxic environment but you also want to win and get better. 
but you know that this draft is so loaded. It's it's very difficult, and you know I can't fault anyone for for the team for taking the direction, making those moves, improving the raising the floor. Um, it's getting tough to tough to swallow right now for sure. I th- I think where I'm at mentally is I'm I'm kind of looking for what's the best case scenario for this season because I agree with Evan the losing of culture the losing culture can't come back. It just can't. No. It's we'll have John Tortorella as our coach. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, you can't if this team gets toxic to the point where Larkin's like, I can't do this anymore. Which that, would have been a very real risk. Yeah. And then you don't want Sider and Raymond getting used to this and you know, Bergeron, Valeno, you know, welcome to Detroit Villy Huso. Here's your future. It looks awful. We you don't want any of that. I want them to still be competitive. I want every team below them to just go on like absolute heaters. Like I love what Buffalo's doing. Ninth or tenth last in the league. Get us just get us in the Bedard draw. Just just, just get us at the dance. Yeah, like I don't. I know our odds are never going to be that high for it because, like I said, we're nobody's going to be able to out tank like the teams that are really going for it this year. And I don't want Detroit to tank. But having a ball in the hopper. It gets me, it gets me going a little bit, you know. <laughs> you know, you know the the point zero two percent chance, like Carol- the, Carolina did it. Yeah, yeah, like they're tenth last right now. I'm just saying, oh the, baby, the, <laughs> just that's a caffeine kicking in. Let's Woo-hoo. go. We're at, we're at, we're in the dance. Let's not tank. Let's not implode. They're not. But the, the thing okay, is, they're not going to intent. No one's going to intentionally let, lose. But the team is what they are. Yeah. Let me put it this way, and and I'll. I'll use odds, mental odds, to kind of sum up where I'm at right now. Based on where this team is at, what I expect from the rest of the season, I think the odds of getting Connor Bedard are higher than the odds of making the playoffs. Oh, wow. Because they are 10th last right now. So that's putting them at like, what, a percent and a half or something? Which is not far off where I think their playoff odds lie, given the state of the team. And that's not even factoring in trade deadline implications. The next two months are will sort of be the the slogan of this season that these next two months will be, um, you know, does this team continue status quo? Do they sell any possible assets that they can? Um, I think by the trade deadline, we'll have a very firm understanding of where this team is going, whether it be win-lose, buy-sell kind of, kind of um, direction. I'll take a quick optimistic view on this right now. Because I think reality is starting to set in, the high of the first two months of the season has kind of worn off. And for the most part, I think we're understanding who these Red Wings are. There's there's two scenarios going forward that are likely, and there's a very positive spin on both of them. One, the Red Wings are who we think they are right now. And who we think they are for the most part is ball in the Bedard hopper. Not a good one, but there's one in there. But if that doesn't end up happening, that means something's going very right for this team for the rest of the year. Guys are progressing. Guys are playing well. Things go well. If my take right now in two months looks absolutely stupid, which I hope, that's fantastic. That means this team is right back to where they were in October, outperforming expectations, playing well. A couple guys performing over expectations, you know, Maybe a Bear Grin goes on a heater. Maybe a Larkin decides he wants $11 million a year. Like Bertuzzi's coming back. Maybe that makes a big and, difference. And maybe he plays this fantastic. is the, the low of the season right now. Yeah, and, and that's very well possible. Again, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think we kind of know what the Red Wings are. 
playoff contending teams, the Red Wings are not, and they will lose to those teams more often than not. They sh- they'll beat up on the Arizonas, Chicago's, Columbus's, Montreal's of the world way more often than they won't, and that's what they are, and that's fine. That ends up with a ball in the Bedard hopper, and if it doesn't, it's another top 10 pick in a very decent draft, which yields another very key piece to the rebuild. Or this team plays great, and what what's the real downside there? Because, again, the Red Wings weren't winning the Cup this year anyway, so a top 10 pick is not a bad consolation prize. You know, the only thing that I would, given how far out they are, I, I don't even know how to phrase it properly. They're 10th last right now. So if they don't finish 10th last at the end of the season, we should be happy in the sense of this team played well relative to expectations. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? That's, like, that's what I keep going back to when we talked about, you know, at the start of the season, what are the expectations for the team? It was basically don't get caved and be more competitive. And I think up until this point of the season, barring a few games, but that's every team, that it's basically been mission accomplished, which is not great because they are 10th last in the league, but I think they've been more competitive. They just, we've said this, scratch it off your bingo card, they don't have the elite talent to be a playoff team right now. We've, uh, I really, it, it's been really funny watching the progression of like, it's hard to watch right now, but where we've ultimately landed with this discussion is, there's no real bad result in the grand scheme of things relative to where they are at this moment. Yeah. I, I, you brought up, I, and I want to circle back to one other thing that you mentioned, Brad, you circled back to the signings, the two big signings that Eisman made. It might be that, you know, I'm too carefree about this kind of thing, but I'm still not so worked up about the cop and Chirot contracts overall. Um, for the same reasons that we talked about them in the summer, there was, we had some criticism, especially for the Sherratt contract. Uh, but ultimately what it landed on is at the end of the day, we're kind of needling over something that might not be as relevant as the cap goes up and the extra years, like, you know, the fourth year for Sherratt and the fifth year for cop, that is just the price of what it takes to get in free agency. I think about Sherratt a lot and he's a really intriguing player because I've seen games where I really like what he's brought offensively and and a lot of times what he brings physically to the team. And there's no doubt that he's a leader in that room. He's often the one to to speak to media, things like that. Um, but, you know, in terms of production on the ice, that's ultimately what matters most. And he's just a, he's an ultra chaotic player, which as a defenseman has, it yields big results. And often if it's chaotic, like too often it's negative. Derek Malone uh, deploys a, a, a system that is, focused really on minimizing risk. And we've seen players have to adjust their games. And, and I'm curious to see how Tyler Bertuzzi does when he gets back in the lineup because he doesn't play a risk-free game. Uh, but we've seen them have to adjust their games on the loan system. So I'm curious to see, maybe it's already started, but if there are going to be any adjustments asked of Ben Sherratt. Because I think of Ben Sherratt that just takes an extra you know, step to think. Or, or doesn't commit on so many pinches or, or jumps up into the, the play so erratically, I think he's a, he's a lot more consistent of a player for the Red Wings. And then, then I'm not really that concerned at all. It's just a bigger-than-I'd-like contract for a player who, who does make it uh, add something to this team that they didn't have last season. Those are all very good points, but they're ignoring one possibility here. All year we've talked about, you know, Schrott being chaotic and Mark Stahl 2.0 and a bit of a defensive... Call it what it is, a defensive liability. We've assumed that's because he's a 
he just likes being aggressive, which is still the most likely scenario. He might just have really poor hockey sense. Could be it. And in which case, there's no fixing that. He just he just can't think the game as quickly as he needs to, so he reverts immediately to see, go do. There's lots of players in the league like that, um, mostly forwards, where it's like, there's the puck, I'm going to the puck, I'm going to get the puck. Can't do that in your own zone because then you start blowing assignments and good players will torch you, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that's fully what's going on with Sherrod. I think that's at least a little bit of it because of how consistently inconsistent he is. I, I totally agree with you because last night I was watching his game very closely and I actually don't, didn't mind his game when he had the puck. Like he's got his head up. He made a lot of good first passes, but when he did not have the puck, it was it was chaos. The John Tavares goal, he's, he was soft coming back. Tavares saw the hole. That was it. There's one time Ben Sherrod dumped a puck in and then was somehow behind Toronto's net laying out the body. Like it's 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 a little bit of chaos <laughs> when he's off the puck for sure. But I didn't mind his game when he had the puck because I think that's when he can sort of control the outcome a little bit better. He can't read the play when the puck is not on his stick. Yeah, when you have the puck, uh, go see, go do becomes a lot easier. Yeah. Because you are are in control at that moment. Because the one thing I've been particularly impressed, it's a very small and and seemingly insignificant skill, but after watching Danny DeKaiser for 10 years, it's a skill I really appreciate. He's got a really smart point shot. There's he been does. a lot really there's good. been a lot of goals this year off Ben Schrott point shots that have been deflected, but you can tell he's shooting for it. And he's shooting in the lane at the right time. And he makes smart pinches in the ozone when he has the puck, which comes into what why we chalk it up to an aggressive mindset. Um his his step up and pass to Valeno in the game against like that's what I'm talking about. Those are the offensive parts that I've really liked. Yeah, it's there. You can see why people like Ben Schropp. Is it worth $4 million? Like, I'm sorry, nobody's talking me off that ledge. It's absolutely not. It was a bad contract the day it was signed. It's a bad contract now. It's going to be a bad contract for the next three years. Not that he's not a useful player, and I I can't remember what I said in July, but I think my opinion was it's too much money for an, a decent player, and I I still land there. My pessimism has actually made me softer on this contract because I don't think the Red Wings are contending in the next three years. So who cares? The only concern I have with the Cop and Schrock contracts is that they add up to a cumulative amount that it it takes them out of a Pasternak or a Horvat sweepstakes because, well, we can't, we don't want to run that tight to the cap because we have these two anchors. You know, that could have even been something with Verona, like putting them on waivers. We want to make a splash this offseason, and you know, even though we could get a return for Verona, we it, it's more valuable for us to just lose the entire five plus million dollars than get back like a third round pick or whatever it might have been at the time. I don't know. Again, that one's so complicated. I'm just theorizing, but yeah, it's like I'm not going to sit here and kick and scream over the contract because, in the grand scheme of the Red Wings rebuild, I don't think it matters, and I don't think it will matter in a significant way, and. He's still good enough to be a top six player on a on an NHL playoff team. So if the Red Wings start, you know, knocking on the playoff door more legitimately in the next two or three years, I don't think Sherratt hinders that. Yep. Like I said, decent player, very obvious flaws. I don't think they're going to be fixed. I think he's overpaid. But yeah, I don't I don't think it impacts the Red Wings in any super significant ways. 
So overall summary, uh, depending, it doesn't matter where you land on the spectrum of the opinions you just heard. Overall summary of the Red Wings is they are what they truly are right now. Probably going to see and feel a little bit more pain at least for the rest of the season. If not, then that's great results. Uh, and if we do, then there is still something to look forward to because though infinitesimally small, uh, there's a chance that Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Carlson, Meechkoff, whoever. So it's going to be a ride. It's uh, uh, A rebuild is ugly. And until, unless you get insane luck through the lottery or you nail player development and you get, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, doing the thing I hate, but a Braden point, uh, it's going to be a hard time. So uh, we'll see how the Red Wings play it out. I would hope that this season the floor doesn't fall out from beneath them like it has in previous years, and I will say I think they have the roster to at least mitigate that. Um, the Lions are officially eliminated from playoff contention. <laughs> so right on cue. <laughs> I'm uh, going to... Baker couldn't do it, huh? Yeah, you know what? Seattle missed a field goal to to win it before regulation ended, but Baker also threw a... There's a punt fest in overtime, and then Baker threw an interception. So... Uh, football giveth and football taketh and taketh and taketh. So I don't follow the NFC super closely because um, I was watching the Bills clinch the number two seed this afternoon, which probably should have been a one seed. Anyways, um, can they at least eliminate the Packers still? Because that's always fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Silver linings. Yeah, silver linings. And so if the Lions what? win tonight, the Seahawks are in and the Packers are out. That's right. Okay. And I have to tell you, the petty sports fan in me enjoys that almost as much as a Lions Man, playoff berth. Playing spoiler is one of the best positions to be in. Oh, boy. Yeah, for the set, because, you know, obviously I feel feel for all the Lions fans, but let me tell you, the feeling I got today for the second year in a row eliminating the Patriots from the playoffs or playoff contention gives you the warm fuzzies. I, if we if the Lions do it against the Packers, I'll be right there with you, bud. Okay. Uh, I want to let everyone know before we continue talking about the Red Wings that, that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all have to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never even happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. So, I've mentioned this briefly in the past, and I think we actually had a... Uh, an overtime question about it, but one of the most notable players on defense for the Red Wings, I know we just spent a lot of time talking about Ben Sherratt, which I, I'm sure people aren't going to be, some people aren't going to be fond of how negative that conversation may have been. Uh, on the flip side, Jake Wallman. You know, he's gone from wall boy to wall man. Jeez. <laughs> was that in this moment or was, did you think that up at the game? Be honest. Right now. That caffeine is, do we got to get you a whole case of those? I'll That's hide it right, right under the podcast table and everything. 
Uh, he is an expiring contract. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, currently making just a shade over a million bucks, uh, 26 years old. And the Red Wings, most nights right now, Red Wings' best left defenseman playing with Mo Sider, it's a priority for them to bring him back, right? My gut tells me yes. But here's the issue. This is the Simon Edmondson issue. In the Red Wings' heart of hearts, and I know you want competition, but you're not bringing Simon Edmondson up to sit in the press box. Ole Mott is also a UFA. How many left defensemen do they plan on carrying next year? I am a big fan of Jake Wallman, and to me, Jake Wallman is a yes. You bring him back. You bring in Ole Mata back if you can, and I flip Sherratt to the right side. Like I agree fully. Yeah, I, I think a left side of, you know, let's let's call it top pair Wallman with Cider, which still leaves a lot to be desired in a contention window, but for the time being, it's about as good as they're going to do. Unless they do something very splashy like trade for, trade for Chikrin, which I don't see happening. Mata, Hironik on the second pair, and then Wallman, Sherratt as a bottom pair, or Edvinson, Sherratt as a bottom pair. You could do a lot worse than that. And at, at the high points of the season that we've been talking about, the Red Wings have been parading out a very competent defense. And Wallman has obviously been a big factor in that because if your, you know, quote unquote depth players don't do it for you, your whole, your group as a whole isn't going to be able to do it. So Wallman brings just enough offense to keep the other teams honest when he's on the ice. And he brings just enough defense that he can slide in next to a cider or a Heronic or whoever they deem and not be a liability. Is that something you can find around the NHL? Yeah, there's a hundred guys that can do that. For the last seven years, the Red Wings haven't found anybody that could do that. So now the fact that they have three, what a wonderful problem to have. So unless he's got some really unreasonable contract demands, yeah, Wallman would be on the bring back list for me. Yeah, I, for me, it's Mata, Wallman, both. Yeah, I whatever they make, they do with Sherrod uh, on what side he's playing. Uh, you know, for all the criticisms we just had about Sherrod, I, I think there were some pretty good outcomes even with his uh, pairing with Heronic so far. I think that's been, it's not like uh, I look at that pairing, I'm like, oh my God, it's a dumpster fire. It's been like, I really like the switch between Wallman and, and Sherrod there. Uh, and whichever of Edvinson, Johansson, whoever wants to make the team out of camp, because this is not a team that promises players roster spots because, you know, they've gone through X years of the AHL and now it's time for the Red Wings. No, they make the team out of camp and then you deal with it then. But for me, You've seen too much competence from from Olimata, and you've seen too much promise and competence from Jake Wallman. And he is young, and he is playing on the left side. And by God, he can play with Mo Sider. And we didn't think that'd be a problem this year, but it is. Uh, I think you bring them both back. And will you be crowded? Yeah, but I'd rather be crowded and have to make a tough decision than say, "Yeah, oh yeah, we we have." Here's both. Joe Schmo. He can barely tie his skates. He's gonna play right D yeah. for the Detroit Red Wings. Gustav Lindstrom and Robert Hag are statistically the worst pairing in the NHL right now, and they're getting 14 minutes tonight. Like let, let's let's avoid that. If if we are genuinely saying, "Yeah, the Red Wings cannot bring back a losing culture," and the Red Wings were there was no world where they could in practice tank for Connor Bedard aggressively, then you have to want the team to get better, especially. Yeah, with that depth defense. So yeah, I've fully on board on board with bringing that back and creating a problem for the future. But for what we've seen from Jake Wallman, Wallman, that seems to have been one of the prototypical bring a player over from St. Louis who didn't have all the opportunity they really should have had based on their talent level and see them blossom in Detroit. 
that's only happened. This is only the fourth such instance of this happening now. It's happened three more times since this episode started. <laughs> but genuinely, like I heard Jordan Kyrus had a bit of a down season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vlad Tarasenko not looking great. Hey, man, pending UFA. There you go. Scores goals. Look, older, so could be a value signing. Like that sounds like a Steve Heisman guy to me. We were like three hours away in the summertime from talking about are the Red Wings going to bring in Evgeny Malkin before he changed his mind? Like they were very interested, right? So. Even though this season is, I hate to say it, at points a little less exciting to watch, not in terms of outcomes, but just in, in terms of the hockey being played. Evan, you noted that sometimes it, there's long stretches of unremarkable hockey. Uh, the the potential of what could be done for Steve Eisenman, that's when you can get batty. Like be, before, if we said, oh yeah, the Red Wings should do everything they can to sign David Pasternak, it would have been... Yeah, no but, shit. Like no, before it would have been why because this team isn't competing in the next five years, and now it's oh, fair enough. Now it's yeah, you go in and bring good players if you're trying to compete. Yeah, when we talk about incremental improvements with the Detroit Red Wings, I think Jake Wallman is the the guy you point to. It's like yep. we paid nothing, almost nothing, to have this guy in the roster and evaluate him for a season, and he's been good, and he would incrementally improve this team. So. You know, if he's asking for three million, four million bucks, like see you later. But uh, see you later. Yeah. No. Like he has I said, five points, I, Ryan. I like him. Does but he have five points? He has five points. <laughs> oh my god! He also missed a good chunk of time at the beginning of the season. He has five points. But um, <laughs> it's funny too. I, I Jake Wallman in terms of. The point Evan just brought up about great value. He wasn't even the main piece in the trade we got him in. No. He was part of the Nick Letty trade. How many people remember that? That yeah. feels like a St. billion Louis years ago. <laughs> oh, God. We, st- and we still have that second pick upcoming. We haven't, we've already won the trade and we haven't even made the pick. Yeah. It's like all this deep analysis on, oh, if you view it this way and that way, the eyes are playing, looks like it might have, uh, uh, uh shed one drop of blood like Xerxes in 300 and meanwhile Eisenman just casually wins that Nick Let signs Nick Letty flips him in for Nick Letty plays good for legitimately two weeks all season all season and he gets and a second and Wallman second like ugh. Yeah. anyhow uh, this has turned into a state of the Red Wings podcast which I think is fair play at, at this point in the season the fact it that was we the- have a good mix of doom and gloom and some positivity is is good because yeah. it's so hard always just dumping on the team when there's a string of bad losses. And and also the alternative was going in-depth on the uh, Florida and Toronto games, and I don't think anybody wanted that. It's standard fare. Like, it's just standard fare. It's, it's... I wish... As much as I dump on the on the Toronto Maple Leafs, like, their team is loaded. Dude, every time the Detroit plays Toronto, it's like every goal is like a 100-point player assisted by 90-point player and a 105-point yeah, player. Like, Mitch Marner gets and, his 500th point. And like, Leaf fans are actively complaining about two of them. Yes, all the time. I They are constantly talking about what they what in the world are we going to do with William Nylander. It's like... Bro, I just watched that guy <laughs> literally so tear apart the Red Wings. They don't need to worry about William Nylander. He is ridiculously good. Just watch them. They'll do it. It's It blows my mind. How many, like... This might be good perspective for what we talk about with talent issues. How many players on the Toronto Maple Leafs would be the best player on the Detroit Red Wings right now? My answer is four. 
That might not even be enough. It might be more. You could make the case for more than that. I'm I'm a Larkin optimist, so I'm going to say it's only four, but it's at least four. It's but the the it's so funny how razor thin the margins are. And you say this a lot, Evan, between winning and losing in the NHL, like that line, that margin is thin. The worst team in the NHL can hum, like pummel, beat the absolute shit out of the best team on any given night. Yeah. You can you can upset in the series. Look what Columbus did to Tampa a while back. Like a well coached, a team that's come together, a team that plays super well as a team. Like this is a sport where LeBron James can't come in and change things. You know, yeah. one player, two players. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are fighting for their playoff lives right now. Yeah, but the talent disparity between the best and the worst teams over an eighty two game season, you see and you feel it. Like that is that just harks back to what Brad said earlier this episode. The road is long. Because between here, where the Red Wings are now, and having four players, like the quality of what uh, Toronto has or what Colorado has when they're healthier, what Tampa has, that is that takes a lot of time and a lot of luck to acquire. I found it when I was watching the game last night. You know, the Leafs obviously were discombobulated at the start of that game. But once they had an ounce of confidence and like just got the ball rolling a little bit, I was like, there's no way Detroit is going to win this game. No, like, that- As soon as they just figured it out a little bit, the confidence that the elite players have to just force the issue and win the game is so obvious. I will say one thing, and this is going to seem maybe too optimistic, but in the past, that re- like when the Red Wings threw a much better opponent off their game, I felt like they figured it out sooner and it got way worse. And I just feel like the Red Wings are doing a better job this year of hanging in just a little longer. They still don't get a point or they still may, might get like an overtime loss at best, but that was a 3-1 game from Toronto less the empty net goal. Past seasons, that's 5-6, 7-1. Is that going to be fun for fans to watch? No, but it's that's, like you said, Evan, that's incremental around, progress. Up against the best teams, you hang around for yeah. as long as you can and maybe you squeak one out, I guess. So last Red Wings update, uh, it was announced today that Elmer Soderblom uh, got assigned to Grand Rapids. Obviously, he's waiver exempt, which means he doesn't go through the waivers process because of uh, uh, his status as a rookie. Um, And he is assigned to the AHL. And this is making room for presumably uh, either Tyler Bertuzzi. It's likely Tyler Bertuzzi. uh, Could be Zadina, but it looks like Bertuzzi could be back as soon as Tuesday at home against Winnipeg. So uh, earlier timeline than maybe expected. Uh, I know we were, Lalone was talking about the week later before, so that's good news for the Red Wings. Um, but thoughts on their choice to wave uh, or not wave or send down Soderblom in lieu of waving someone because they're going to need a couple roster spots, at least one for Bertuzzi. And then if they need a second one for Zadina, I, I think it just depends on what they want to do with Zadina. Um, but overall, what do you think of of sending Soderblom down based on his play this season? Two schools of thought here. One, I'll circle back to that quote about the Adam Ernest of the world, where if you're, you know, doing cap gymnastics to uh, not wave them, your team sucks. Um, but that being said, Soderblom's point streak was good, but he's not exactly setting the world on fire right now. I could make a really sound argument. He's still one of the 12 best forwards on this team, but he's not so far, so high up that depth chart that it's inexcusable for him to go down. So I'm fine with it. You know, he he's definitely got a lot to work on still despite the talent and despite the positive strides he's taken. I can fully justify this. 
not what I would have done, but like I said, he, he's, he's not exactly kicking the door down to the point where you can't make this argument. Got a DM from someone and, uh, I apologize. I apologize. I've been dealing with, um, a bug for the last while, so can't see the, through the brain fog enough to remember the name, but someone put it really aptly to me today. They said, um, he, Soderblom is one of those rare players situations where he can benefit from any situation that he's put in. Like you said, Brad, there's a lot he has to work on in his game and the AHL won't hurt that, but we've seen him do a lot of really good things at the NHL level. So it's not like he's faltering or it's hurting him or, you know, it, it happened too soon or anything like that. Kind of like, you know, early years Rasmussen, uh, that's not the situation with Soderblom. So, uh, I think I ultimately agree. I don't love him going down. If you just look at the 12 best forwards on the Red Wings, um, but I can definitely see why Eisenman and Lalone cho- chose to do this in lieu of waiving someone, especially because they may, depending on what they want to do with Sedina, need two roster spots. You don't want to waive two people, right? Uh, Ned has done really well down in his uh, conditioning stint down in Grand Rapids. Like two wins looked really good. One shootout loss, uh, I believe, to Texas. So it's uh, all in all, you want to save those roster spots as much as possible. So yeah, if, if you have to choose to move Soderblom down for a bit, until things clear up, yeah, it's totally fine. And most importantly here, Tyler Bertuzzi. I said a lot last episode. This is the most important things for the uh, uh, player for the Red Wings in their immediate future. He needs to come back. They need to get him going. Uh, you can't expect the world from him right away, but what the Red Wings do with Bertuzzi and what they get out of him, either in terms of contract or a return, is going to be very much dictated by his next month and a half, two months here. And just very quickly here, um, I know I just mentioned about Ned, but through three games, five goals against, uh, 163 goals against average, 950 save percentage, 2-0 and one record. Um, also, it was really funny. I was just saying to you, Brad, uh, that was Nedeljkovic versus Hudobin last game, which would have been a box score that would have been very confusing uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, we talked about Halberg doing well, and he did. I think he's he's been fine to decent to good or even better, uh, depending on what point in the game. Um, but hey, if you send Ned down on a conditioning stint to see to get him in a rhythm, looks very much like he's in a rhythm right now. I know three games does not a season make, especially in the a- AHL, but uh, the Red Wings continue to have a complicated situation with their goalies with three of them on the roster. So with uh, Bertuzzi and, again, depending on what they want to do, Zadina back, depending on your school of thought on whether or not he should come in right away, um, more potentially complicated decisions here. You can't keep three goalies forever. We've already passed what we thought the first deadline was going to be. Here comes the second one. All right. It's going to be fun. All right. That's the, the, the state of the union on the Detroit Red Wings. Let's get to uh, some other hockey topics so my brain doesn't wander and think about the fact that the Lions are once again out of the playoffs. Uh, the World Juniors. We recorded the last episode legitimately just before puck dropped on the gold medal game. And what did I say that Canada had with Czechia? A problem? Yeah. And Czechia took them to three-on-three overtime with two very fast late goals uh, to tie the game 2-2. And first of all, I just want to say, I I understand it might not be a popular opinion. I think it's better than the shootout, but three-on-three in a gold medal game overtime is stupid. Five-on-five hockey for as long as it takes. It's the gold medal game. Those kids don't have anywhere. There's no game after this in the tournament. Do you think three-on-three hockey in that game benefited Canada because of how deep of a roster they are? Um, okay, 
Or do you just think it's gimmicky that it's three on three? Do you feel both. like because both. it's okay? It's both. I, yeah, I, I think it being three on three instead of five on five increased Czechia's odds of winning because it's far more random. It is way more random. I think if you have the more talents, like that, you have Connor Bedard, you have whoever. Like, yeah, you can probably create the space you need because once you get the slightest break, like three odd man rush and on three on three, it almost always turns into like a breakaway or a 2-1-0 or something ridiculous like that. But it did create enough like randomness where, yeah, Czechia could have absolutely stolen that game. Yeah, it's like Canada is obviously the deeper and more talented team, but Czechia was actually probably the best team in the tournament going into that game because they'd already beat Canada once and they did not have a regulation loss. But when you get to five on five, you know, Canada, the five best players Canada can roll on the ice is going to be substantially better than the five best Czechia can. And then the further down the lineup you go, that that only gets more prevalent. Whereas in three on three, yeah, you know, obviously nobody in that tournament was going to compete with, you know, Bedard, Stankovin, and Zellweger if that happened to be the trio on the ice at the time. But Czechia throws out Kulich, Shala, and Juracek, and they're not far behind. No. That no. so that team deserves so much credit. I honestly think if Canada had not gone down two nothing to the Americans and woken up, because like I've I've said quite a bit, they were playing hero puck. They were playing you know Connor Bedard go do something cool. They were not playing as a team. They were being outclassed by the states to start that game. They were outclassed by Czechia earlier in the tournament. If they had not woken up against the U.S., there's no way. Canada needs that dose of adversity uh, literally every single year. And that's what they do. But yeah, man, big credit to Czechia. They were one bounce off a stanchion, one uh, rolling puck, one random play, which is the definition of hockey away from from taking gold. Uh, I was so impressed with that with that team. And ultimately, Genther um, scored the gold medal goal, and Canada was over the moon. Um, really amazing crowd in Halifax. Oh, that uh, that atmosphere was insane. I would have killed to have been there. Um, great tournament, though. Stop putting the World Juniors in NHL markets. Yeah. It is way better in, you know, the Halifaxes, the Saskatoons, the, I don't know what the U.S. equivalent would be. I remember the Grand Forks one being yeah. very successful. It's juniors. Put them in junior hockey markets because we saw how, I know it was August, but how abysmal the turnout was in the August World Juniors in Edmonton. They didn't, nobody gave a shit. Yeah, it would be absolutely nuts. Every game. I know it'd be considered Detroit, but Ann Arbor would be amazing. Oh, can you imagine? I know the arena is probably not big enough to justify the ticket sales, but just at the Yost. Oh, God. That'd be so good. That would be. And they know, they know, like, like they know junior hockey, they know development hockey there. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine, like, because we, we see all these crowd shots of Canada and, you know, Canada's fans cheering them on and how rabid they get. You fill the pack, the Yoast with a bunch of American fans, it's going to be the exact same vibes. And I think it'll be in the same thing next year when it's hosted in Gothenburg. Like, the Swedes are crazy about hockey. I mean, yeah. our listenership is a lot of Swedes. Like, it's no no mystery. I think it'll be awesome next year as well. I just love that that tournament had that much. We saw We talked about it last episode, but that much unpredictability, that much... You know, we saw the result of a team being greater than some of their parts, like, you know, Coolidge getting so much of the spotlight when everyone thought they would get steamrolled by Canada both games. Like, it was really cool. Um, and also, how much better of a bronze medal game could you have asked for than an 8-7 OT win with, well, with the U.S. over Sweden? Sweden would beg to differ, but... Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> uh, okay. 
there has been quite a bit happening in the NHL, but uh, and even there's been some mention of um, Detroit wanting to be part of a, a joint bid for the World Juniors, but we'll get to all that in future episodes. Uh, for now, we're going to get to overtime. Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. Uh, the way we uh, post twice a week that we do everything we do, the way we run Winged Wheel Podcast nights at the LCA, all of that, that is uh, just because of the heart and soul of this show, which is our Patreon supporters. So I uh, can't thank them enough for everything they do for us. So uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. You get access to our uh, Patreon exclusive overtime episodes, which we post right after these main shows where any questions that are asked that don't make the main show, we answer on those episodes. We let loose. We talk about it a little bit more. You also get access to uh, your, you get entered into every giveaway we do. All patrons are automatically entered uh, and we are giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season. Uh, and most of those go directly to patrons. Uh, additionally, uh, you get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, which is an amazing com- uh, community. So uh, a lot of benefits. Uh, and again, thank you to all of our patrons. Let's take some questions. Um, Linda Hull says, is it time for prospect profiles, boys? But seriously, what do you think the trade deadline should look like now that the playoffs are likely out of reach? Sell. Um, sell who? Like, are you are you dipping into the players they signed over the summer? Maybe it would depend on the offer, um, and what. More importantly, I would say it depends on what Eisenman wants to do this off season. If he's going big game hunting, can you afford to lose a, a Kubalik? Yeah, probably. Um, is it going to be kind of a lower key off season? Well, if you don't want to take a step back next year, then yeah, you're probably going to need to keep them. So. Uh, I'll leave that with um, it depends. I think Bertuzzi, at this point, you have to. I know they won't, but if Larkin's contract negotiations go south, you have to try. Beyond that, I think everybody else is kind of inconsequential. Um, you get what you can. Like if, if there's a couple teams who are tripping over themselves to get David Braun, great. I don't see that happening, but cool. Um, ultimately... For me, I'd say the only must is probably Burt, assuming contract negotiations go nowhere, which it doesn't even look like they've started. So I, I'd say that's that's the one. Okay. Uh, next question here from CNODS, and it's uh, more of a comment, but uh, one that I thought was important. It says, can we take a minute to talk about some of the great surprises of this year? I think the fan base needs some positivity. Yeah, probably correct. Uh, Bear Grin for one, I feel like not that long ago, it was a long shot for him to make the league with his injuries. Perron and Kubi have proved to be help, proven to be helpful. I think people are starting to forget that the path to success isn't linear. Oh man, if we didn't already have a title for this episode, that'd be a great one. Uh, I think Bear Grin is a really great example of you know the success of the season. That is a player who went through the a very typical like out of the playbook development process in terms of where you placed him and when, but had all the odds stacked against him in terms of injuries. Um, but so far, what a fantastic stint with the Red Wings that he's had in his rookie year. Yeah. Between him, you know, overcoming his injuries and turning into a really good player, you know, don't forget Soderblom's a sixth round pick only three years ago or three years before the season. So to be playing in the NHL at all is a hell of a surprise. So take that as a huge win. Yeah, a lot of uh, Eisenman's lower-risk signings have paid off huge. You know, the trade for Vili Huso turned out to be pretty wise. Like, there's a ton of positives to take from this season still. I re- Also, yeah, like the, the Valeno story is 
I think a good one. Like he, I, gone are the days where anyone can hope for you know a top six center Joe Valeno, but for a guy who's an everyday depth center in your lineup who you can count on, like that is going very well. Uh, Lars Thorzell says, "Hello, boys. Uh, so Lord Elmer in the AHL, do you reckon it'll be for a while or just a short little stint?" Uh, given the Red Wings' track record of injuries this year, can't can't say it'll be very long in all likelihood. Yeah. Is there anything moving in front of them between injuries and the trade deadline? I think at most we're going to see like a month and a half here. Yeah, they might his his NHL playing time might be sacrificed to give some auditioning time, so to speak, in the NHL or with those minutes. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be terribly long. Uh, also, an update from this side of the puddle, and Lars is talking about Sweden. Uh, Wallander is looking great. Casper has slowed down points wise, but is as ornery as ever. Uh, Niederbach is floundering in uh, the Allsvenskan and Dover Nielsen has seven apples in 14 games on loan. Uh, Nicholas Lidstrom's old team, uh, Vastras. Advice for the future, don't buy horses. Elmer the Full has cost me about as much as it would cost me to fly from Sweden and watch a game in the LCA with great tickets. Oh God. I've heard the same thing about horses and boats. Yeah, boat is an acronym. Bring on another thousand. Yeah, so. People like Brad and I don't know those jokes, so thank you for uh, looping us into your world a little bit, Mr. Freeleaf's Tickets. Yeah. He says That's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> he says yeah. Uh, Soda Stream Future MVP says, hey guys, newish member of the Dub Dub Club. Thank you. Uh, and uh, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Appreciate your support. It says, we have season tickets to the walleye and beyond the fact that goalies are complete voodoo, what should I be looking for in terms of improvement with COSA, especially considering the flash, the fishes, uh, defense or lack thereof at times. Keep up the good work and let's go Red Wings. The less he's swimming in the crease, the better, because that was his big issue. Like, if he's not... I don't know what the word is, because scrambly feels like the wrong word for a goalie, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Okay, uh, we have time for some Reddit question today's uh, Reddit questions, so thank you to those who have uh, submitted. Uh, let's start with this one from Lion 22 says, where do you guys realistically see us drafting this year, and who do you think it'll be? One, Connor Bedard. I'm going to will it into existence. Okay. Um, <laughs> what about, uh, uh, out of Moose job, Braden Yeager? I like him. Big fan of him. Yeah. I could see that. There's going to be... If the Red Wings miss the playoffs, they're getting a good player. This is a very deep draft. Um, if you want to talk about the World Juniors, Edward Shala and Dalibor Dvorsky both looked really good, and both could be in Detroit's range if they're picking in that, you know, call it 8 to 12 range. Yeah. If Detroit's moving, like the, Detroit's not getting down to the worst team in the NHL, no matter how bad things go, it's just not happening by the end of the year. So really, if they're drafting anywhere near the top, they're drafting one or two. So it's Bedard or Fantilli. Uh, I could see Leo Carlson making a push for a second. I could see it. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I could see it. Hot take, Matt Vemichkov slips all the way down. Oh, I could. I, I don't could, think that's a hot take at all. No, I could definitely see that happening with the contract and the uncertainty. Which would be work out for Detroit because right now I'm at, like in the mindset of uh, forward at all costs. Um, Let's Kill Time says, great pod as always, guys. I desperately wait for each episode. Thank you. That really means a lot to us. Uh, says, my, my question is around the trajectory of the rebuild. When we look at the Devils, Sabres, and Lightning, they have a strong correlation with the success of their AHL affiliate. 
when when we look at Grand Rapids, it's a mess. Whether it's coaching or too many rookies, et cetera, how much significance does Brad place on the Griffins for all the development for our prospects at this point of our rebuild? What changes do you think we should see, if any? I love when they ask just Brad. It means we can. Perfect. Yeah. Obviously, what's going on in Grand Rapids matters. Uh, for the players' development, but I have a hard time comparing them to the turnaround in Buffalo and New Jersey because both those teams have a series of first overall draft picks that are propelling them to what they are. Jack Hughes is top 10 in NHL scoring, didn't spend any time in the AHL. Nico Heischer is fantastic. Rasmus Dahlin's coming off a five-point game as a defenseman. Owen Power looks every part of what people thought he would be. And, you know, obviously Buffalo got lucky. Tage, Tage Thompson decided he wanted to turn into Mario Lemieux overnight. Um, he's an animal, man. He's a, he's, he's a cartoon. Um, so short answer, yeah, it matters. But those probably aren't the two teams I'm comparing them to. Uh, also, shout out to Hockey Town Racing Academy, who asked the same question earlier about uh, which player are they drafting in the first round. Okay, Last comment here from Orion William High, because I think it's funny. It says, Ryan, you're doing a great job as host considering the circumstances. Brad, I'm sorry. Evan, please calm down. It's all a little bit too over the top. I can do that. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> as for the question, how frequently do free agent signings work out in favor of the team? Could be any team, especially considering the types of contracts that are handed out in order to get them to sign. And how have the offseason signings worked out thus far for the Red Wings? Maybe give a letter grade for the free agent group as a whole. Also, where do you think the wings will draft and why is it six? Please don't stop making the show. I don't know what I'd do without it. First of all, great question. And I think we answered part of it through the episode as is. And it it points to the overall point that I, I tried to make earlier and I'm sure I did a terrible job of, which is free agent signings are almost always going to not garner objectively like if you look at a table the best value possible compared to drafting and developing a player but it's sometimes just the price you have to pay that doesn't make it right every time though those four to seven million dollar contracts after like the a tier of free agents are gone are almost universally bad like just historically speaking because it's teams scrambling to get anything because they missed out on the big fish. I mean, look at 2016, for example. What happened when Stamkos never made it to market? I don't remember. No. No. It's yeah. a race from my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably for the best. Uh, Ryan's right. It's You're not getting these players unless you overpay for them, but the caveat with that means you're always overpaying them. All right. Uh, with that, we are going to wrap up this episode of the winged wheel podcast we are back to our regular sunday wednesday schedule for the next little while so we'll be back with you on uh wednesday we'd like to thank all of you so so much uh for contributing uh to the show for listening to uh, listening and tuning in if you're a new listener or old we really really appreciate it we'd like to thank our uh sponsors of this episode of the winged wheel podcast uh nordvpn as well as all of our name level supporters on patreon Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannes Banana, Slam and Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Berry, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, 
Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin. That's what I appreciate about you. The podcasting couch, uh, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, uh, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, G-Rated Snowblower Joke 2023, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Matt S., Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bongrips, Servo, The Hodag, and Waiting for My Wedding Invitation. Uh, thank you all so very much, and we will see you on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.